Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. There's nothing better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. And that doesn't mean flopping down on the couch with bunny slippers. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star. Or a tech nomad working from anywhere and jumping from one thing to the next. Whoever you are, Allbirds wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes, too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are designed for a level of coziness that makes you feel like you can do anything. You might even forget you're wearing them. And their shoes are so stylish, they go perfectly with a wear-whatever-I-want attitude. Allbirds is all about loving Mother Nature, too. Because no one wants to leave a bad footprint. Each shoe is carefully crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. From ZQ-certified merino wool to a bouncy midsole made from sweet foam, the world's first carbon-negative EVA material made from sugarcane. So get comfortable in your shoes. Get to know the wool runners, pipers, and loungers at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Introducing The Fountain Road Files, a new horror fiction podcast from unexplained creator Richard McLean Smith. In March 2020, 27-year-old cafe worker Ben Williams began recording an audio diary of the coronavirus pandemic. Two months later, he was found dead in the South London flat where he was spending lockdown alone. Or so he thought. Search The Fountain Road Files wherever you get your podcasts and for more information, Go to thefountainroadfiles.com. Welcome to Unexplained Extra, with me, Richard McLean Smith, where for the weeks in between episodes, we look at stories and ideas that for one reason or other didn't make it into the previous show. In the last episode, The Unceasing Cloud we tracked the inadvertent consequences of Alexander von Humboldt's introduction of guano to Europe, from the subsequent explosion of international crop yields, to the discovery of the Harbour-Bosch process, to arrive eventually at a world forever haunted by the spectre of chemical warfare. As for the phantom gasser of Badatort County, the jury remains out as to whether there really had been a mystery perpetrator 
terrorising the community, or whether in fact it had been gripped by a kind of mass hysteria instead, or perhaps even a mixture of the two. At the centre of it all, however, was the looming and polarising presence of chemist Fritz Haber. With the episode in danger of becoming too long for its own good, there was much about Haber's life that I wasn't able to include. Not least of all, the inspiring and tragic story of Haber's first wife, Clara Imavar. Clara Imavar was born in 1870 in a small town near Breslau, in what used to be the Kingdom of Prussia. With the unification of Germany in 1871, Breslau experienced an explosion of culture and industry, becoming the sixth largest city in the German Empire as its population tripled between 1870 and 1900. Being the daughter of a wealthy chemist, who was also the owner of a textile store in Breslau, Clara would spend much of her time in the city, inspired by its newfound dynamism and dreaming of becoming a scientist in her own right. However, such were the social constraints of the day, the education offered to women was of a somewhat different variety to that offered to men. The women's college, as it was known, provided only what women were thought to need by the people in power at the time, preparing them for what was considered to be their natural purpose as housewives, mothers and companions of their husbands. There was also the teacher's seminary, in which you could study to become a teacher at the women's and girls' schools. Gaining employment as a science professional, however, was an impossibility, for the simple reason that women were prohibited from officially enrolling at university. Without an official degree, you could not be employed. Women could, however, attend university classes in a guest capacity, provided they passed an entrance exam for which they were unlikely to have ever had the education for. And even if they could pass the exam, permission to attend would still require the gaining of approval from the faculty and the support of a professor from the university. Undeterred, thanks to the support of her parents, Clara was able to enrol in private lessons and successfully passed the University of Breslau's exam in 1896 at the age of 26. Later that year, she enrolled as a guest student. At Breslau, Clara was taken under the wing of chemist Richard Arbeg, who cared little for her guest status, preferring to treat her as if she were an official student like anyone else. It was through Arbeg that Clara was first introduced to his friend and fellow lecturer, Fritz Haber, who was working at the University of Karlsruhe, the pair wouldn't meet again for some time. In the following years, Arbeck would become an important confidant of Clara's, to whom she would regularly write to express her frustration with the sexist attitudes she regularly came up against in the laboratory. Nonetheless, Clara persevered, and with Arbeck as her PhD supervisor, she graduated with distinction in 1900, becoming the first woman ever to receive a doctorate in chemistry from the University of Breslau. After graduation, although still unable to work, she remained with Arbeck as an unofficial lab assistant while making a living lecturing on chemistry at various women's organisations. With little else like it around at the time, Clara's lectures were immensely popular among women, helping to popularise science for those who were largely denied access to it. 
Then in spring 1901, Clara received a letter from Fritz Haber inviting her to accompany him to a conference in Freiburg. As it transpired, Haber had struggled to forget Clara from the moment they'd first met and was eager to impress her. At the conference, Haber stunned Clara by proposing to her, which she accepted. Clara wrote later that she accepted the proposal almost on a whim due to her belief that you should try and experience everything that life had to offer. It was certainly never her intention to let her professional career take a back seat to what might be expected of her as a wife. Some have suggested that she may have envisioned herself and Harbour becoming a successful team together, much in the manner of Marie and Pierre Curie, who only a few years before had announced their discovery of radium to the world. In the first few months, after moving to Karlsruhe to live with Fritz, Clara did her best to balance the housework with attending meetings at Karlsruhe University's Chemical Society and giving lectures. As the months went by, however, this would become increasingly difficult, and with the birth of her and Fritz's son, Hermann, in 1902, Clara had little option but to put her professional ambitions on hold, indefinitely. And though she adored and doted on Hermann, within a few years, Clara was forced to accept that her professional ambitions had slipped permanently from her grasp. It was no doubt all the harder to take that while her career stagnated, Harbour's truly began to flourish. By 1910, with Clara only able to watch from the sidelines, Harbour had established himself as one of the greatest chemists of all time, with his work taking significant precedence over his personal life. Before long, Clara and Fritz also began to drift apart. Careof is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Using their hassle-free service, Careof will make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals attainable with products that are formulated with good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by science. If like me, you're easily confused about just what vitamins you might be lacking in your diet, use Careof's in-depth 5-minute online quiz which asks questions about your diet, lifestyle and health concerns to help address your specific needs. Careof is super transparent about the research and sourcing behind every one of their products, with extensive info available on their website and fun, informative content on their social pages. Follow Careof's expert recommendations or adjust your pack at any time. What you receive is totally up to you. For 50% off your first Careof order, go to takecareof.com and enter code unexplained50. Once again, that's takecareof.com and enter code unexplained50 for 50% off your first order. In April 1910 came a particularly tough blow when Clara's friend and mentor, Richard Arbeck, was killed in a ballooning accident at the age of 41. The following year, she and Fritz moved to Berlin where Haber established the Wilhelm Institute for Physical Chemistry and Electrochemistry and was made director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Society, the leading German science organisation of the day. With the outbreak of war a few years later, Haber and his team were drafted in by the German military to begin the process of turning chemicals into viable weapons. Haber's transition from pioneering chemist 
to weapons manufacturer did not sit well with Clara. Having already been uncomfortable with it morally, after seeing firsthand the gruesome effect his experiments were having on the animals he used for testing, she became positively repulsed by the whole venture. The realities of war were brought home even more starkly when, on December 14, 1914, Otto Sacker, a close friend of the harbours and a colleague of Fritz's at the Institute, was experimenting with cacodyl chloride when it exploded in his face, killing him instantly. Clara, who'd been in the laboratory at the time, watched it happen in front of her. Though the exact degree to which Clara opposed her husband's new line of work has been questioned by many, some say she often pleaded with him again and again not to work on gas warfare. Harbour, however, felt his duty was ultimately to his country, not his family, and that was what his country needed of him. Harbour also famously saw no ethical difference between killing with gas and killing with the bullet. Five months later, in April 1915, Clara and the rest of the world woke to the news of that first devastating application of her husband's weapon at the Ypres salient on the Western Front. Harbour returned from the front a week later, and on the 1st of May, a day before he was due to ship out again to supervise another attack, this time on the Eastern Front, a gathering was held at his and Clara's home to celebrate the success of the gas attack. A detached Clara could only watch on as those in attendance lavished praise on Harbour and congratulated him on his invaluable work for the war effort. It isn't known exactly what happened between the couple later that night, only that at some point, Harbour retired to bed alone after taking two sleeping pills, which he'd become increasingly dependent on. By the time he woke up the following morning, Clara was dead. At some point it's believed that after sitting down in her study to compose a series of letters to friends and family, she took her husband's service revolver and headed out into the garden with it. After firing off one test shot, she aimed the gun at her heart and pulled the trigger. She was found dying moments later by her 12-year-old son, Herman. What is clear from letters of acquaintances that being the reluctant housewife that Clara was, she was considered somewhat of an outlier by many of those in her and Fritz's social circle. Criticised by some for not accepting her lot, picked on by others because she didn't make more of an effort to be more presentable. The suicide notes, if she did write them, have never been published, leaving many to speculate as to what her exact frame of mind was that night whether her death was due to the devastation of what her husband had wrought on the battlefield or merely on her life, will never be entirely known. It's been speculated that Harbour was having an affair at the time with Charlotte Nathan, the manager of a newly established political club, and that Clara had walked in on them at the celebration dinner. This was later denied by Nathan. After learning about his wife's death in the morning, by the afternoon, Fritz Harbour was already on his way to the Eastern Front. Some claim he made attempts to stay at home with his son, only to be denied permission by the military, 
but this has not been verified. Two years later, in 1917, he married Charlotte Nathan, with whom he would go on to have two more children. As is well documented, Harbour would also go on to develop even more lethal chemical weapons, and at the war's end, was controversially awarded the Nobel Prize for his contribution to the Harbour-Bosch process. Though many would question his character, few could deny his genius. The following year, Harbour, through his institute, founded the German Society for Pest Control, also known as Degesch, a state-controlled institution for the development of pesticides, but also the development of chemical weapons. It was there in the 1920s that scientists experimenting with methyl cyanoformate developed a lethal pesticide that released hydrogen cyanide when exposed to water and heat. Cyclon, as it was called, was soon banned due to its lethality. Despite his patriotism and all he'd done for his country during the war, things would become increasingly difficult for Harbour when Adolf Hitler and his National German Socialist Workers' Party came to power. Harbour was born into a Jewish family, and despite his conversion to Christianity in the 1890s, it was not enough to save him from the rising tide of anti-Semitism. In the 1930s, Harbour was ordered to dismiss all Jewish personnel from his Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. Though Harbour was entitled to remain as director of the Institute, he refused to do so, delaying the sacking of his staff just long enough for them to find somewhere to go before withdrawing himself. Harbour, along with Charlotte and his three children, moved to England where he worked for a brief time at Cambridge University. In 1933, he was invited by Chaim Weizmann, who would become the first president of Israel, to work in what was known by some as mandatory Palestine at the time. Harbour left for his new job in January the following year, but would never complete the journey, dying en route to Palestine of heart failure at the age of 65. After the banning of Zyklon, developed under Harbour's guidance in the 1920s, Chemists Walter Heert and Bruno Tesch began working on a revised version of the product. Seeking to distinguish it from the earlier model, it was renamed Zyklon B. In August 1941, Karl Fritz, the SS chief in charge of prisoners at Auschwitz concentration camp, intrigued by the effectiveness of Zyklon B at delousing the clothes of the prisoners, began experimenting with it for use as a possible human extermination device. In September that year, he tested it out on 600 Russian prisoners of war and 250 sick prisoners in the basement of Auschwitz Block 11. Camp Commandant Rudolf Hurst was so impressed by the results, Cyclone B gas was adopted as the main method of killing at Auschwitz. Over the course of the next few years, Cyclone B would be used to kill upwards of 1.1 million mostly Jewish victims of the Holocaust, including members of Harbour's own extended family. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, discount on merchandise, as well as brand new video and audio content exclusive to Patreon members, just go to patreon.com 
forward slash unexplained pod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.